Does Gonzaga have enough depth to push for another Final Four appearance? And what does Stanford and Cal joining the ACC mean for the Zags? All that and more covered on today's mailbag edition of the Locked On Zags podcast. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college or enter the promo code Locked On College for a free water bottle with every purchase. You won't want to take your bird dogs off, we promise you. Happy Tuesday, folks. Because of the holiday on Labor Day, we did not do a mailbag edition on Monday, but we did decide to push it to Tuesday today. A lot of you had some fantastic questions. Right now, mailbag questions are being taken two ways. You can either email me at andypatton013 at gmail.com to get your question answered, or you can respond to me on our Discord channel. I have a link to that in the show notes for those of you on YouTube or on a podcast platform. You can find it there. Uh, it's 70 so people right now, all Zags fans talking Gonzaga basketball, Gonzaga sports all the time. I take mailbag questions there as well. So if you want to join, go ahead and hit that link. It is free to join. We're going to get right into it today. A bunch of great questions today. This first one comes from Zag Nutty on Discord, who says, does Gonzaga have the pieces this year to make a Final Four or championship run? Do we have enough depth to weather potential injuries? One through six or seven seems solid, but I worry about depth, particularly for the guards in the past seasons. I felt like we could go almost two to three deep at each position, but this year we don't seem to have that same depth. Yeah, for one thing, I think if, if you feel like the top seven are pretty good, like Mark Few doesn't play a whole lot more than seven. I know injuries are always a concern, and there are some players on this roster who have dealt with injuries, and I do think that that is a reasonable fear to have but in the past like Gonzaga hasn't won hasn't gone to the final four or gone to the national championships games because of players eight nine and ten very often that 2016-17 team was very deep but they made it on the strength of Nigel Williams Goss playing all the time and Shema Karnowski like they made it because the starters were horses and played a lot and so I think that to make a final four national championship will require Gonzaga to stay healthy. And that's not because this team's depth is necessarily bad. It's because that typically is what is required in order to make it to a national championship game. Most teams don't make it if they deal with injuries, if they deal with, uh, you're not making it based on the strength of your, your eight, nine guys. You're, you're just not. With regards to Gonzaga specifically, I actually am a little bit more worried about the front court right now because of Caden Perry medically retiring because of Marcus Adams jr. Leaving the program. The front court outside of the top three is a little weak. You have Graham E.K., you have Anton Watson, you have Ben Gregg. Braden Huff, I think, is going to be that fourth guy, and I think there's some reason for optimism there, but I think the front court depth is a tad deep weak. We'll talk about that momentarily. With the guards, the addition of Luka Krajnovic really helped shore up the guard depth in my mind. I know he is a freshman. I know he is unproven, but he has played against 30-year-old Croatians in the last couple of years, most improved player in the Croatian league last year. I think adding him to a guard rotation that already has Ryan Nemhart, who's going to play 35 minutes per game like he did at Creighton, uh, adding him to a guy like Nolan Hickman, who's a, a player who's been in the system for multiple years, and Steel Venters, those three guys, plus Krajnovic, plus Dusty Stromer, it's a more unproven depth than Gonzaga has had in the past, and that also goes for Jun Sakyo, who is one of the uh, – most kind of enigmatic players on the roster, but a guy who I think could be really, really good. So I don't think the depth is bad. I think it is unproven. 
and for Gonzaga to make that run, those guys probably do need to play at their best, but it's ultimately going to come down to what the starters do. Next question here comes from a Zag in the heartland on Twitter or on discord, excuse me, who says, as of now, all signs have pointed to EK being healthy, but if he gets re-injured, how would you organize that lineup? Would you put Huff in the rotation, more yo, more shooters in the starting lineup? Yeah, EK is an interesting case because he's coming off a significant foot injury. We know he was in a boot during the summer. We know he also was cleared and started playing in the summer. Or at least that was what was reported, was that he was at 100%. So as of right now, we kind of have to operate that he is good to go, but we'll find out more on October 7th when craziness in the kennel takes place. Uh, the, the staff seems to really have a lot of faith in Braden Huff. If EK were out, I do think Huff would sneak into that lineup or into that rotation a little bit, but I think it would be mostly yo. That's my that's just my read on the situation. Let's say EK is out. Watson and Greg are your starters in the front court. And then I think you have Yo and Huff kind of alternating playing some of those big minutes. I think the Gonzaga would just go really small. I mean, they're gonna go small regardless. EK is only six nine, Watson's six eight, Greg is six nine, Huff is six nine, Yo is six eight. They're basically all around the same height. So I think if EK were out, you would probably see a bit more floor spacing a bit less of a reliance on the post down low. It would obviously hurt Gonzaga because he is expected to play a big minute role next year. But if the staff is truly right about how excited they are about Braden Huff, and we've seen Anton Watson talk him up in the offseason, we've seen Julian Strother talk him up in the offseason, uh, he could be a guy who steps in and fills a role in, in a way that makes losing EK, if it were to happen, a little bit less painful. Another question here from Zag in the Heartland. He says, what is the Zag's future if we fail to land Asa or Zoom? Honestly, in this era, it's impossible to tell. I, I mean, I, I, it's hard to answer that question because we just don't know what Gonzaga's future rosters are going to look like. Everybody on Gonzaga's roster could return next season except Anton Watson. That obviously will not happen, whether it's because somebody pops off and goes into the NBA, whether it's because somebody doesn't play enough transfers, whether it's injury. There, there's a ton of things that could happen. But right now, if the Zags were to not land Zoom, Diallo, or Asa Newell, who are the top two top 15 prospects in the class of 2024, Zoom's a point guard, Asa's a stretch four, the Zags would just pivot. They would pivot to young transfers, most likely. Again, this is assuming that most of Gonzaga's guards return. I kind of think there's a chance that Gonzaga's entire guard room comes back, in which case you're not necessarily looking to add a high-impact guard from day one. If Zoom does come up, come to Gonzaga, somebody's probably leaving because then you want to fill it, you want to have him fill that spot. But if he doesn't come, Gonzaga could just stick with the guards that they have, add around the fringes. They could go international like they did with Krajnovich. They could go into the you know lower-ranking high school recruits here in the States. They could go the transfer portal route. There are so many options to build the roster. I don't think Gonzaga's in any serious trouble if they don't add Zoom or Asa. They're just going to have to pivot to different options. Next question comes from Grand Chef Otto on Discord, who says, does Stanford and Cal to the ACC mean the end of geography mattering and conference realignment? Of course, my real question is, quote, does this make the Big East more of a possibility for Gonzaga? But I don't want to beat an old drum here. Yeah, we can we can cover that. I have no problem playing the hits. And talking about Gonzaga to the Big East is one of the hits. Uh, in terms of the geography question, USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten was the death of geography mattering and conference realignment. That was what it, that was what did it. From there, you saw Oregon and Washington, of course, go to the Big Ten as well. You saw the Big 12 pick up the four corner schools, which wasn't as big of a geographic uh, difficulty for the Big 12. The Big 12 is, is more set up to absorb teams located in those geographic areas. But the Big Ten is now a, a strange geographic conference with four schools on the West Coast. And of course, now the ACC is a complete mess with one school in Dallas, a bunch of schools on the East Coast, and then Stanford and Cal in the Bay Area. 
I think that this was always the direction it was going in terms of Gonzaga to the Big East. It just, it only, all that matters is if the Big East is willing to expand. Right now, the Big East hasn't even indicated they're looking to add. I suspect they're thinking about it as they see all these major conferences add more schools and more schools and more schools. But the Big East in the past, when they have added schools that don't fit their brand, that don't fit their kind of what they do as a, as a conference with the basketball and everything, when they've done that in the past, it hasn't worked. So they're going to be real hesitant to add schools that don't fit what they want to do. I think Gonzaga does, but that conference or that geography is going to be a big thing. It's harder to deal with in basketball where you have to travel multiple times. Uh, football's once a week. It's easier to make that work. That's all these conferences care about, even though Stanford basketball and baseball is going to be kind of screwed with this realignment. Uh, I do think that the fact that the Big East is focused more on basketball and basketball is more difficult geographically to, to manage is a still a sticking point, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Big East starts really seriously considering this in the next couple of years. Final question here, kind of building off that one. This one comes from Spring via Discord. How are these kind of moves even sustainable? How can football support cross-country travel for all sports when they could barely support regional travel? Even with new media deals, it only offsets the increase in travel costs. So how long until this implodes? First point I'll, I'll make about the offsetting travel costs. For some of the schools, yes. For Stanford and Cal, that was not the case because Stanford and Cal didn't have a pre-existing media deal that they could fall back on. And then they just chose to take a little bit more money from the ACC. They had nothing because of what Oregon and Washington and Colorado and Arizona and Arizona state and Utah and USC and UCLA, because of what those schools did, Stanford and Cal were staring down nothing. They were going to join the mountain West most likely, or figure something else out or go independent. And the amount of money that they were going to make from a media deal was very, very, very little. Going to the ACC is a huge upgrade. Yes, they have more travel costs, but the amount of money they're making based on the probably like three or four million they would have made in the Mountain West versus a lot more in the ACC, that is the difference. The other schools just took a slight upgrade in money, a more, more sustainable long-term financial gain in the Big Ten. And yeah, they have more travel costs, but that it's more than just offsetting it. Regardless, how long until this implodes? That's an honestly fascinating question. And I think it will implode. I, I don't think it's going to work. I, I, I don't know what exactly that means. I think, I hope that what it means is eventually the NCAA or some governing body, somebody realizes that this can only work in football, that it cannot be sustainable with the other sports and that they allow football to break off, build their own conferences in football and everybody else just continues in, you know, maybe they reinstate the old Pac-12. I don't know exactly how it works, but somebody's got to blink. Somebody's got to be willing to say, hey, this isn't working for us. We want to change this. I don't know who's going to be willing to blink first. And that's why I don't know that this necessarily just, I think people will realize pretty quickly that it's not working, but how long until somebody actually says it, that's the question that I'm really curious about. Well, folks, we got more on conference realignment, specifically more on the potential merger with the Mountain West and the Pac-12 or Pac-2 and how Oregon, excuse me, how Gonzaga could get involved in that. All of that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Bird Dogs. Folks, Bird Dogs make you look good. The Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dogs do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better. They also fit better than regular shorts that are made of stiff, restricting cotton. Why? Bird Dogs fixed this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so that you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird Dogs also uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. 
Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college or enter promo code locked on college for a free water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college or promo code locked on college for a free water bottle. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. I know this is a basketball podcast, but college football season is here and Locked On is kicking up our coverage with Locked On College Football Kickoff Live, airing each Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on every Locked On College YouTube channel, except mine. Find Locked On College Football Kickoff every live every Friday from 11 to 1 Eastern on any Locked On College YouTube channel. You won't want to miss it. Folks, continuing our mailbag segment here, this question comes from Dave via Discord. Dave says, have there been any rumblings of Gonzaga being involved in the merger, reverse merger of the Pac-12 and Mountain West, or would WSU want to shut that down since GU would be so close? Yeah, the Washington State angle is interesting because I do think that there is a chance that Washington State doesn't want to compete with Gonzaga in the same conference in terms of TV, TV deals, what's going on in the Eastern Washington, all of that stuff. And we've seen schools be hesitant to add schools into their conference that are close to them geographically. I know Portland wasn't super thrilled about the idea of adding Seattle U to the WCC. I know that's been one of the things that has hung that up. I don't know how seriously that is going on right now. But the main thing here is that Washington State is already getting absolutely destroyed by Gonzaga in terms of viewership for men's basketball. I mean, it's, it's not even close. And football doesn't is irrelevant. So I think for Washington State, they might they may not love it, but it's hard for me to imagine that they wouldn't accept a school that's going to boost their money. It's going to make Washington State more money. Washington State lost twenty five million dollars a year basically by this happening. The they felt they were promised thirty million dollars a year from Larry Scott, the former commissioner of the Pac twelve. They made renovations. They made fixes on their campus, spent money that they did not have because they were promised that money would come back to them on the back end. Now, they're potentially looking at 4 to $5 million a year as opposed to $30 million a year. If that's the case, Wazoo is in big trouble. It is a sad story. For Wazoo, if, that, if that's the case, if that's the position they're in, and they have an opportunity to have Gonzaga in their conference and have that game, those games, be televised and big huge deals because of the regional rivalry and make more money from it i think they're going to say fine i think they're not in a position to kind of push away a, a school that would come in and clearly be a boost in terms of tv for men's basketball it's not gonna do anything for football but it's also not going to hurt them so i don't think that wazoo would really push back on this but i don't know i don't know all of the logistics all of the in and outs of that kind of decision but to me it feels like this would be a silly thing for wazoo to push away because at the end of the day it's going to make them more money, and they're kind of bleeding money right now. Next couple of questions here all come from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff asked a handful of questions about the Mountain West Pac-12 potential merger. We'll go through them here. He says, how much does the fact that Oregon State's baseball team has been a top 20 team during most of the past 25 years affect how beneficial a move to the Mountain West Pac combo conference could be for Gonzaga? Very little. And that's not to be disrespectful to watch the Oregon State's baseball team, who is extremely good. I watched them win College World Series as a high schooler. It was one of my, some of my favorite memories. This is a fantastic, fantastic baseball program. 
just doesn't move the needle. I think the WCC is a little bit better than the Mountain West in baseball right now. I think adding Oregon State and Washington State might push the Mountain West ahead of the WCC, but these decisions are just not being made with that in mind, and I don't think it's going to be something that really even comes up in those conversations when Gonzaga is looking at that. Next question along the same lines, adding Gonzaga would give the Mountain West Pac-12 combo conference the minimum number of teams that are needed to have a conference in men's soccer. How much could that help Gonzaga's case for moving over to the combo conference? Or would a move with Gonzaga really all be about basketball and significant added value Gonzaga hoops would bring to the Mountain West? Yeah, it's just basketball. The soccer thing is cool. Like, it's nice that I, I was looking that up ahead of time as well. And like, the men's soccer is not an offered sport in the Mountain West Conference right now. But if Gonzaga were to join and Oregon State and Washington State were to join, that would be enough schools that they could offer men's soccer for the Mountain West. I think that's something that the Mountain West would probably like to do. So I don't think that this is like a a negative thing. I just don't think it's something that moves the needle all that much because these decisions are made almost entirely with football and a little bit men's basketball in mind. Of course, Gonzaga would be exclusively for men's basketball, but they're just not thinking about those other sports. Final question here from Jeff. He says, in a hypothetical, let's say Gonzaga joins the Mountain West Pac-12 Combo Conference along with Washington State and Oregon State. If you had a chance to advise this conference regarding membership potential expansion, would you advise the conference to pursue adding teams like Memphis or Tulsa or UTSA or others? Or would you advise the conference to stay at a 14-team conference that would include Hawaii in football and Gonzaga in basketball and all other sports? I don't think that if this were to happen... If we get Oregon State, Washington State, and Gonzaga all join the Mountain West, whether we do the reverse merger and we still call it the Pac-12, whether it's called the Mountain West, whatever you want to call it, I'm not sure that they would expand beyond that. 14 is a pretty good number, granted that it's smaller than the other major conferences right now because they've been adding and adding and adding. The ACC is going to be 18 soon. The The Big Ten and the Big 12 are both 16 plus. So I do think that it would make some sense to consider making an addition. But I'm not sure that this conference would be, even with the additions of Oregon State and Washington State, again, football rules everything. And while Oregon State and Washington State are plus additions to the Mountain West from football by a clear amount, Oregon State's a top 20 team. Like, they're definitely a bonus there. I still am not sure that this conference would be viewed as this, like, an another additional Power 5 conference. Like, if I don't know if it gets autonomous 5 status. I don't know if it's going to be kind of qualified as, like, an actual Power 5. So is Memphis going to consider this like, yeah, this is way better than the AAC. I don't know that they are, you know, and geographically Memphis would still be an outlier. So I, 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 yes, to answer the question, yes. Adding Memphis as a 15th school, adding Tulsa or UTSA as a 16th school, getting them up to 16, giving Memphis a more natural travel rival would be, would be great. It would be solid. And Memphis is a, a fine football program. They're not great, but they're fine. And for basketball, it would be awesome to get them to, to, to play Gonzaga every year. But I don't know that that's super realistic. If this conference were to come together and were to be kind of considered a power five conference, I don't think that the the court of public opinion would necessarily consider them that right away. And I don't not sure that they should be considered that right away. But if Memphis felt like it was a better opportunity from a TV deal, from a media rights deal, which is, of course, a huge factor too, too. what's the media deal going to look like? If they felt it was worth it and they wanted to join, I think it would be great. I just don't know that we would see anybody jump in to jump into this conference until they know what that media deal looks like, how it's perceived nationally, all that stuff. We're going to close out the show talking about Gonzaga's conference slate, the Kennels environment, and who this team's boogeyman is, all coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. 
Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 back in bonus bets, guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is super easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props to money line and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you will not want to miss. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, closing out today's show, talking about a variety of topics here on Mailbag Monday, including this question here from Zach in the Heartland on Discord, who says, with the conference slate coming out, are there any stretches of games that worry you? Not really, to be honest. I think this is a pretty decent schedule for Gonzaga. I think, you know, of course, there are some teams that could trip Gonzaga up. We saw that last year. Uh, the Ending the season on the road against St. Mary, or excuse me, against San Francisco and then St. Mary's, that's tough. I'm not going to lie to you. That's a pretty challenging uh, couple of road games, two of the best road games or most challenging road games that Gonzaga will play all season long. They do have a five-day break before those games, though. They play Santa Clara on the 24th at home. Then they play San Francisco on the road on the 29th. And then they play St. Mary's on the road on the 3rd. So it's it's just there's enough of a gap there that I don't find that stretch as challenging as it could be. It's still two tough road games, but it's not as challenging as it could be. Gonzaga also plays St. Mary's in Kentucky in the same week. I know Kentucky doesn't really count as part of the conference schedule, but it's in the middle of the conference season, so we'll count it. That would be the St. Mary's game on February 3rd in Kentucky on the 10th. But again, seven days apart, Gonzaga plays St. Mary's at home, travels to Lexington. I feel like a lot of Gonzaga's tough games this season are, are scheduled in ways that are not actually that difficult for them, so I don't find this schedule to be overly concerning for the Zags. I think St. Mary's is going to be really tough. And I think San Francisco on the road is going to be really tough. I think that San Francisco team is sneakily very, very improved and could be really good next season, like legitimately could push for an NCAA tournament bid. But I'm not sure that that stretch because of the days off is that concerning for Gonzaga. Next question here comes from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, if Gonzaga's offensive identity was a tool, what would it be? He gives a couple of options. He says, would they be a hammer really good at one thing and one thing only? They're going to pound the ball down low and beat the team into submission. Or are they more like a scalpel, extremely precise and calculated, going to beat you with precision passing and shooting? Or are they a Swiss army knife? They are not the best at one single thing, but good enough at everything to get the job done. So out of those three, I'm going to take the Swiss army knife, but not really exactly as described. I think what it is, is that they're capable of beating you in multiple different ways. And every single part has a specific purpose, which of course goes to the Swiss, the Swiss army knife comparison there, but every player on Gonzaga's roster has a role and Gonzaga is at their best when they are all functioning as intended. When the players know what their role is. I'm the high, you know, the high man on the high-low offense. I get the ball. My first look is down on the block. If it's not there, my second look is to shoot or put the ball on the deck. If it's not there, somebody, a guard swings around me. I hand the ball off to them and they drive to the basket. That's my role. My role on this team is to come in and give high energy on defense, trap guys at half court, score in transition and otherwise on offense, try to get offensive rebounds, but not really be a, a, a player who gets the ball in his hands and does a lot with it. My role is to execute the pick and roll, whatever it may be. I think Gonzaga's at their best when the players know their role. Last year's team struggled to figure that out for a while. Once they did, though, they made the Elite Eight. 
that is kind of how Gonzaga operates. So to me, that's closest to a Swiss Army knife. I think the precision scalpel comparison makes sense as well. But to me, I think if everybody's functioning in their specific role, this team can do so many different things and beat you so many different ways. And I expect next year's team or this upcoming year's team to be the same as well. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, what do you think about CBS's survey of college basketball coaches where Gonzaga's kennel was voted as one of the five best home court advantages in all of college basketball? Heck yeah, that's what I think about that. Look, Gonzaga's kennel has been on this list for, for a long time. They're frequently considered one of the best. One of the most common things that happens for schools like this is people leave the school and then start complaining about the, the student section as soon as they leave. It's like clockwork. Everybody does it. Everybody thinks the kennel was the best when they were there. Then they leave and they think, oh, the students don't care as much anymore. It's not as loud. It's blah, blah, blah. There are specific writers in the Spokane media market who their entire shtick is just complaining about how few students are at the kennel. It seems to get a lot of engagement, so they keep doing it. I understand why that's the case. But to me, the kennel still, I haven't seen very many other college basketball arenas that are consistently as good, as loud, as passionate, as full as the kennel. Of course, Gonzaga is a basketball-only school, so that helps. They don't have football to compete with. Their homecoming happens at basketball games. Like they, It's kind of the big camaraderie event on campus, whereas schools that have football have football. They have another opportunity to do that. But, you know, I mean, Duke is up there. Kansas is certainly up there. Like there are other schools that have really raucous home crowds. Even BYU has a fantastic basketball crowd. But to me, Gonzaga should absolutely be in the top five. They continue to dominate at home. Yes, people say, oh, it's the WCC, but they, they beat good teams at home when they get a chance to play them. Teams are afraid to play there. That should tell you what you need to know about where the kennel should be ranked on this list. Next couple questions here come from Austin via Gmail. Austin says, who is this year's boogeyman for Gonzaga? Meaning, what player will keep the other coaches and team up at night? Who will they be thinking about when coming up with a defensive scheme to stop the Zags? This is a really fun question because for the last couple of years, it's been Drew Timmy and there's been no debate about that whatsoever. Drew Timmy is the first player on the scouting report, the first player you talk about how to stop. This year's team doesn't necessarily have that. I'm going to answer this question by saying Ryan Nempard because I think that if you stop other players, but you don't necessarily stop Ryan Nempard, you're still going to lose. If you do not contain Ryan Nempard, he will find a way to beat you. He is the straw that stirs the drink. It's, it's similar to Andrew. I know it's lazy to make that comparison, but it is. Ryan is, is a deft passer. He's a solid outside shooter. He can get to the rim. He's really good in the pick and roll. If you're not putting pressure on him, if you're not making him get rid of the basketball, you are going to get beat by him. You can shut down Anton Watson. You can lock down Grammy K. You can completely shut down Gonzaga's shooters. But if you let Ryan Nemhard do what he wants to do with the basketball, you're going to lose. So to me, that's the player that opposing teams and opposing players should be thinking about the most when they are prepping to play Gonzaga. Final question, similar note from Austin. He says, with all the games that are slated for this season, who is Gonzaga's boogeyman? In other words, what player from any, any other team will Gonzaga be thinking about before they play them? Zach Eady from Purdue, Donovan Klingon at UConn, Aiden Mahaney from St. Mary's or somebody else. It's Aiden Mahaney. Gonzaga's going to play St. Mary's almost certainly three times this year. They play Purdue once. They play UConn once. Those are non-conference games. Those are games that it would be wonderful if Gonzaga beat them, but it means a lot more to beat St. Mary's. And if you don't stop Aiden Mahaney, they might beat you twice. They might beat you three times. This St. Mary's team is really good. Aiden Mahaney is, he's certainly not as physically imposing as Zach Eady, not even close to as physically imposing as Zach Eady, but he is a really, really tenacious scorer, 
gifted scorer. He's shifty. He's a shooter. He's a great passer. We saw him nearly, I mean, not nearly, we saw him destroy Gonzaga in the second half of the game last year. He picked them apart as a true freshman. The, the leap that players make between their freshman and sophomore year is staggering at times. And if Aiden Mahaney makes that leap, he's going to be one of the best point guards in college basketball. I have no, no qualms about saying that. I truly believe it. And he's going to give Gonzaga hell next year. Ryan Nemhart is not a great defensive player. Nolan Hickman, fine. I think Aiden Mahaney is going to be a problem for Gonzaga, and they're going to have to figure out how to stop him. With Purdue, you figure out how to stop everybody else. Klingon doesn't, doesn't, he's good, but I, I, whatever. UConn, they're going to be really good. Gonzaga is going to be really good. We'll see how that game shakes out. I don't think Klingon is necessarily uh, pulling that kind of weight for Gonzaga. There are other fantastic players that Gonzaga is going to play next year too. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of them. But to me, it's Aiden Mahaney because if you don't stop him, you lose and you potentially lose multiple games to your, your biggest rival. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Love doing these mailbag questions. Really excited to get a chance to answer all your questions. Again, if you want to continue to be involved in Mailbag Monday, join the Discord channel. The link is below here in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening. We got a really fun show coming your way tomorrow. Definitely not going to want to miss that one. And one more show coming later this week. All here, all here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Also available on YouTube. Go hit that subscribe button. We're getting close to 2,000 subscribers. Would love your help getting there. If you have not done so yet thank you so much for listening and until next time as always go zags